All right. Been just talking about discipling. And before we dive into this week, if you have questions or comments about anything we've talked about so far? Is this about Jesus? (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll circle back to that, Kyle. (laughs) Just be patient. Nothing? It's your chance. Once I get rolling. All right. We've talked about what discipling is. We've talked about why it's important. We've talked about uh, excuses and barriers to, to discipling. And um, this week we're going to talk about uh, discipling in the local church. You know, what, it, what venue is best for discipling? And um, how does it get started? You know, how do you get involved in in that. I think we made the case a little bit last week that discipling is not a program. Not a program or something as formal as that, but it's much more organic uh, when it's working correctly. And um, you know, it's it's going on in different in different ways among all sorts of people who are believers. Anytime you're having a conversation with someone where you're talking about things you've read or studied or don't understand from Scripture or you're listening to a sermon or reading a book, you've got the opportunity to be discipling yourself. And if you include someone else, you've got the opportunity to be discipling them. Now, there's a difference, and Kyle might quibble with this just a little bit. I would say there's a difference between what we might say a formal discipling effort versus an ongoing discipling effort. Discipling ought to be a way of life, an organic process in your life, but that that doesn't mean that there aren't formal opportunities for this. You know, you may sit down with someone and work through a discipleship book where you're helping them, uh, they're a new convert, you're helping them learn something about the the disciplines of following Christ, uh, etc. Make sense? But for most of us, it needs to be more ongoing than programmic. You know, it needs to be something that we get in the habit of doing in our lives, and probably you are. This crowd in here tonight, most of you are probably engaged in some forms of discipleship. You guys have a Bible study in your neighborhood, right? Uh, Dave, tell us a little bit about that. I remember you told me about that uh, when you first came to our church, but give us a little insight. You brought Mike with you tonight, who's a part of that, lives in your neighborhood. Did, found did you hear that? 10 or 12 years ago. <laughs> Go ahead. So he was going, actually, <clears throat> we had a little coffee shop elements. We, we live right over here behind Kroger, by the silos. Uh, off Green Road. Off Green Road. Yeah. And we, we went there, they closed. We went downtown, Alpharetta, they closed. And, <laughs> and we went to Waffle House. It was too busy and too crowded, too noisy. So we spent five years in McDonald's Playground. Every once in a while, there'd be a day we get cussy that weekend and kind of ruin it for us. But, and then we go to Eggs Up Grill, and I see uh, Gary and uh, uh, Charlie there. But it, it's, it's amazing once we started talking about doing that at the very beginning, 
at the guy, so we go, yeah, I'd love to do that. And then the curiosity, it was like, oh, um, you meet on Saturday mornings? And yeah, I'll come and join. Everybody's welcome. So it's, it's if everybody showed up, it'd be 15. Yeah. And there's some guys that move out of our neighborhood that, that come, still come back and attend when they can. Yeah. Now that, that's a great example of, you know, just some people logistically finding each other and coming together and doing some discipleship. And they're doing it in a formal way, uh, moving through books or materials or things like that, books of the Bible, whatever it may be, probably changes from time to time. We did Revelation, scared a couple people off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're actually doing Jeremiah right now. Right. That's all right. Go ahead. No, it's we've done a lot of books. Yeah, we're excited. Ten or twelve years, you sure have. We have, and then we're we're going back and wanting to do them, you know, like John. And how, uh, Mike? How long you been in the group? I've been doing it a year and a half, maybe. So, so you're just long. you're kind of in the front well, end. Yeah, they would invite me, but finally, I you know, I'm bugged enough that they invite me. But yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's really been an amazing experience for me because my church isn't open, so I miss you know going. To that right. Conference. Right. Yeah. You're doing it online now, it's just not the same. I thought you so. had a particular smile tonight when you showed up here. <laughs> There's something about being back together with, I mean, we, yeah. we've been open now since uh, end of May for worship, and those first, those first few weeks were just really neat. Just when we came back together again, it was really, it was really enjoyable. That's, that's to me, it's the best part of the Bible study is getting there with guys and talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Learning from them, it's, it's been an amazing right. experience. And I know you mentioned Gary. I know he's, he has a group of guys that meet together at Eggs Up on Saturday mornings uh, to do some of this as well. So uh, these are great opportunities and things that we encourage. Bill and, and Bob and uh, George. Anybody else in here? Bob Garrett and um, some of you guys come here on Wednesday mornings to the church building and have a Bible study uh, next door in your classroom. So uh, you get the the room warmed up for the ladies at night, right? right. And um, is there a soul function? We have we have a women's Bible study here on Tuesday mornings. Uh, that's usually a precept ministry study that Kathy Buchanan leads, and uh, and there are others going on. So these are these are things that can happen anywhere, anytime. These are off-site. What I'm suggesting tonight is the best venue. Nothing wrong with these. In fact, I encourage you to be in those. But it's best to be involved in discipleship in the church venue with the body of Christ, with people that are your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's best, I think. Um, and I'm going to give you several reasons why I think that here in a minute. Um, doesn't mean, again, that there's anything wrong with these others. Okay, you hear me say that. Actually, it's good. Builds relationships across, you know, churches, faith, denominations, those kind of things. Can be open, an open chair type environment where you bring in somebody who's maybe not even a believer that can sit down and share with you and maybe have an opportunity to share the gospel with. So lots of, uh, lots of good things going on there. You have two Catholics that come. There you go. Point made. <laughs> so not all discipling... Uh, has to happen inside the church. Not all of it has to happen inside the church building. Uh, doesn't mean that only recognized leaders in the church should disciple. Nor does, are we thinking about, uh, is it wrong to invest in people who are not members or not even believers? You never know how God's going to use something 
that you share with them to maybe get their attention and draw them to himself. What, what I'm saying is that it's biblically wise that most of us have the majority of our discipling relationships in the context of a local church. I think that it binds us together, it grows us together, it's good for the church, all those kind of things. So we'll consider ten reasons tonight why that's a good model to follow. Why that's a good model to follow. Ten reasons. You ready? You got your paper? Number ten. Number 10. No, number 1. We're going to start with number 1. These are not in order of importance. Okay? No, no order of importance. Reason number 1, God has called the church to be pure. God has called the church to be pure. In Titus chapter 2, I'll get there in a minute. Bob, this new Bible... Give me a fit. Sorry. That's all right. That's the best I, do. I know. You did good. It's just hard to make changes. That's the best Joel Osteen study Bible. <laughs> uh, Kyle, people will hear that and believe that that's true. That is not true. Joel Osteen and I are not buddies. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and down through verse 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Now you heard words in there like... Gave himself to redeem us from lawlessness, to purify us, to uh, cause us to be upright, live godly lives in the present age. Renounce ungodliness. Our, our objective as Christians in the body of Christ is to become godly people, to be pure, for the church to be pure. And so discipling one another in the context of the local church helps facilitate that. It works to this end which also elevates the church's witness into the community. Make sense? So we want to be a shining example of God's holiness and transforming power. Number two, reason number two, you do not have every spiritual gift. No individual has every spiritual gift. I've heard people, uh, preachers sometimes make the case that the Apostle Paul might have had all the spiritual gifts. I don't believe that's true. I don't think God works that way. Because he went to a lot of trouble to make sure everybody had a spiritual gift or gifts. And he wants us to be dependent upon one another in that sense. In that it takes all of us to complete. Just like, you know, in a family, a husband and wife are designed to complete one another. To assist one another. To help one another. And in the church, God has brought into the body of Christ all those that he knows are needed or necessary to accomplish the mission and the work that that local church has got, that he's got in store for them in that particular community. I believe God assembles the right mixture of spiritual gifts to do that. I'll give you an illustration. Uh, I pastored in Oklahoma for, for several years, and it was a new church. It was, it was a new church start, and uh, we were meeting in a school, and we had a lot of... Um, 
we had a lot of interesting, if you looked at this church on paper, if you had everybody's personal profile, you would say this church should never start in a mobile setting. We had university college deans, you know, we had professors, we had, we had all these people. We had a lot of leaders, and you wondered if leaders could be good followers, you know, you look at it on paper and you think, maybe we need more followers. We're going to be in trouble. Well, we got together one night and had dinner together. We, had, we ordered sub sandwiches or something for uh, everybody who would come. We ended up with about 170 people there, I think. Fed them. And then we had them do a spiritual gifts inventory. Some of you have probably done one of those before. It's to uh, you answer a series of questions. This one had about 110 questions on it. And they're, they're phrased in different ways, seeking the same answers. Eventually, these questions boil it down, and they help you get an idea, get a sense of maybe how God has gifted you, spiritually gifted you, um, for work in the body of Christ. Uh, are you an encourager? Are you primarily an administrator? Are you, you know, this, 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 and this? And so we took those, 170 people took them. What I found out was 67% of the people, now usually what these spiritual gifts inventories do is you'll have one, two, or three gifts that kind of separate themselves from the rest of them in everybody. So when I take these inventories, I end up with evangelism, no, in no particular order here, teaching, and administration. Don't ask me how. <clears throat> there are different forms of administration, too. You understand that, right? Uh, okay. So these three, these three things um, always separate themselves from everything else. And I'm going to really take a risk here and tell you what doesn't register when I take these. mercy. I get a big fat zero on mercy. <clears throat> now, I shared this with a church years ago, a church before the one in Oklahoma, and they were ready to run me off. They said, how can you be a pastor and not have the gift of mercy? I said, I didn't say I didn't know how to give mercy or be merciful. I said, it's not my spiritual gift. You know, it, there's a difference. We all learn to do things. We all are givers. We're all stewards of things God's given us, but some people have the gift of giving. Uh, all of us have to administrate something, you know, but some of us have a gift in that area. All of us should be sharing our faith and trying to evangelize and can lead people to Christ, but some people have a particular gift in that area. So you see the difference. My church in Oklahoma took this inventory, and 67% of the people out of 170, what would that be, Kyle? Quick, tell me. I don't know. 115, something like that, 110? Over 100 people. Okay, out of the 170, confirmed my suspicions. Bosses and nobody to boss. That's what we had. I'm going, this is crazy. We're going to have a war on our hands. People, I can envision people standing and saying, no, it's got to be done this way. No, it's got to be done this way. You know, these people are in university settings. You know, they've all got their strong opinions and their administrators. The whole town was wired this way because it was a university town. Administration was overwhelming. 
But you know what? We were a mobile church. We met Sunday morning in the junior high school there in town. We used the gymnasium. We used the cafeteria. And we could not use classrooms. They would not let us use classrooms. So we, we set up classrooms out in the hall with freestanding dividers. They let us put a storage building on the back of their property, like 18 by 24 or something. I mean, it was huge. And we stored all of our stuff there. And so every Sunday morning, we had people that showed up and they ran pulleys and dollies and everything you can imagine back and forth to that building. They carried carpet squares for the children's areas. They carried freestanding dividers and they carried chairs. And they set up classrooms in the hallways in that school building every Sunday morning. The worship was in the gymnasium. So we, had, we bought a trailer. It had a sound system in it. It had chairs on racks. And those things all had to come out on Saturday, get set up in the gymnasium. Sound system was set up. The, the team that led worship, the music team that led worship, came and rehearsed on Saturday. And then they had to break it down. We had to break it down after church on Sunday. Wednesday night, we met in the old high school, which had been converted to the, to the town uh, community center because they had a gymnasium where we could do Awana and we had some classrooms and things like that. Our offices were in a strip shopping center. So we had no home, we were nomads. We needed every one of these administrators to get that done week after week after week and we grew the church and we prospered uh, financially. You know, the church, the gifts, the, the, the stewardship grew. Everything about the church grew and in five years, we built a building on our own property debt-free. We couldn't have done that with all these people that were administratively wired. So I quit trying to figure out, you know, who, put, who God puts in churches, that he's put people in there to do what he wants that church to do. That church, I, I bet, I'd love to go back today. That church is now, what, 20? 23 years old, 24 years old. I'd love to go back today and do this again and see how these, that percentage has changed. I bet it's changed because they don't need all those administrators now. I bet they got more people with mercy now. <laughs> right? Most places I've been, back to this one just to let, get me off the hook a little bit. Most churches I've been in when I've done these, we find out that about 50% of the people in the church have gift of mercy as one of their top three gifts. And so I told the church that I was in that was so upset because I didn't have the gift of mercy. I said, well, half of you got it. So if half of you are doing what you're supposed to be doing, is anybody ever going without mercy? Why do you need one more who's got it? You know, unless you're thinking it's only my job to do it, right? That's not the way God built the church. He put gifts in there to carry out the work in the body. So no one has all the spiritual gifts. So discipling helps to identify. It helps to equip. It helps to develop and strengthen the spiritual gifts that God has placed in the body. Being a, a person involved in that is a very gratifying process. Reason number three. A church provides better and greater accountability. Okay? A church can provide greater 
and better accountability. But why? It's better because it's biblically based. It's biblically based, but we all see each other all the time. Your group has accountability because you guys see each other every week, right? So, you know, you know, you get to know each other. Anybody else been in it as long as you have? Are you the long timer? Two of us, three of us. How much different is the relationship that you guys have, not to put you on the spot here, than it is maybe with what you have with Mike right now? Is it different? It is. Because you've um, been at it longer, right? He's passionate, though. He's, he, he right. doesn't show up for your life. Sure. He's going <laughs> to grow and get in it and be accountable, but because you've been at it 10 or 12 years and he's been at it less than two years, it has to be different, right? Same thing in the church. We, we come together regularly to worship, small groups, discipleship gatherings, whatever they may be. It's like your family. It really is your family. So you see each other, and we all have different um, strengths and weaknesses, and we all have eyes and abilities to observe what's going on in somebody's life. So we can hold each other accountable in a more healthy way if we will do it. Problem in most churches is that we feel like that's meddling and we shouldn't do it. But the Bible encourages us to do that. Right? Paul was always meddling, right? He heard something about somebody in a church that they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Paul called them out. said, and you who are, are in leadership, you should be going to them. Why? Because we can't just let them go any more than you let your child go off out here and do something that could harm themselves. So we have to be doing the same thing. A church provides better and greater accountability. Matthew 18 provides us the pattern for how to correct the body, pieces of the body, parts of the body, when they get off the rails, you know. When someone is doing something that's harmful to their testimony or harmful to the church's testimony, I mean, you have to think about that. I mean, we said our church covenant on Sunday, didn't we? We recited that together. There's important parts in there. You know, we hold each other accountable because this is bigger than just you and your needs or wants. This is God's church in this community for what he wants to do. So he works through the body. He manifests himself. He reflects his own identity and glory as we are obedient to him and faithful to him. He shows himself to our community. If we're doing anything to hinder that, to stop that, then we're not being faithful to the Lord and His work isn't going on in the community. So our responsibility is to see the bigger picture and is to hold each other accountable. Hey, Kyle, you need to be doing what, what God's gifted you to do, man. If you're not doing that, it's, it's hurting all of us in fulfilling God's mission for us. Make sense? You would, we would before we play. I'll guarantee you Saturday night, Kyle, Saturday night, there's going to come a time where you're going to yell at one of those Georgia football players because he blew up the play that would sprung somebody for a touchdown, right? More than likely. Yeah, that's right. That's accountability. His coaches are going to hold him accountable. His teammates are going to hold him accountable. And it's also confessional, too. <laughs> yeah, it's cathartic. There's lots of things going on there. But in the church, we have to take that mindset, too, that we are not doing this because we're meddling and nosy and interfering with people or that we're saying I got you you know or I'm more holy than you are but we're encouraging each other iron sharpening iron so that we can accomplish what God wants us to be 
here in this place that he's placed us, right? This, in this location that he's placed us. Number four, you have limited amount of time. Anybody in here unlimited time? Bob? What? You got all the time you need? How about you, Igor? You got you got unlimited time? You're not busy, are you? <laughs> what time does he get home usually, Vera? Late? Yeah, yeah, he comes home late. He works all the time, doesn't he? Yeah. It's we live in a busy culture. We're busy people. We're productive people. There's lots of things going on. You only have a limited amount of time. In fact, it's one of the challenges that we churches face is that people are pulled in so many different directions you know it's not that people don't want to serve or help I think but they look at their schedule and they're afraid to make that commitment that says you can count on me to do this week after week after week or month after month after month and do it well I'm just not sure I can do that you know I got to keep I got to keep something open here well the church the church we sometimes invert the church in the way that it works. And we do this by making, by making, let me see, how can I say this? By designing the church function to serve the church. You follow me? We create programs to make us feel like we're a church. Right? And what should we be doing? We should be simplifying so that we can be available to serve God, to serve the mission, which is the community, and one another, not the program. We end up serving the programs more than we do what we should really be doing as a church. What's a use case for that? What's a what? Use case. A use case. I don't know, Kyle. Um, Give me a minute. Well, I'm trying to think of one too. Um, we can. Okay, I'll give you one. For years, this church did a fall festival. It's that time of year, a fall festival. Okay? Now, I'm not saying it hasn't had good things done with it, but in the old days, we have hand built games and things. Wonderful things like a carnival we would set up the gymnasium we'd have people that would volunteer we would go to some unsuspecting lady usually because they're the most organized right somebody like carol carol we really need you to do this our community depends upon it we we need to do this this fall festival because we'll get the kids to come in it's an alternative to halloween all that blah 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 you know whatever it takes to convince carol she needs to do this Paint the picture. So then she goes down there, and because for the last 20 years it's been done this way, and it's always a big deal, the pressure mounts on Carol that, well, we got to ring the bell. we got to make sure we do it better than they did it last year, or my name's Mud, right? So she's got to enlist all these people that are going to man all these games and, and things that are going on and fix the hot dogs and the popcorn and the cotton candy. And... Then we got to decorate the gymnasium. We got to have bales of hay. We got to have, you know, hey, let's put some let's put some ribbons across the gymnasium and let's hang some cowbells and you know, you name it. We had it. And this thing would go on for 2 or 3 weeks. So the longer it goes, the more ideas we have and the more things we add. 
So Saturday comes, the day of the fall festival. It starts at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the evening. It's going for three hours. Three hours, people. We've been preparing for three or four weeks. We've invested six or $8,000 for three hours. And we have two, 300 people come, some of them from the community. Some of them will never show again. Some of them from, you know, uh, Ackworth, you know, heard about it and came. The kids get candy. Everybody's having a big time. It's a lot of fun. I'm not going to deny that. It's fun. The church does something together and has a good time. But all of a sudden, 7 o'clock comes. All the guests go home. And about three-fourths of the church members go home. And you got, a, you got a handful of people down there now that have got to start cleaning up all this stuff. Okay? And so they do. And Carol, is she's dead for the next two months because she's trying to recover from all the stress and that. And now she's got to help put all that stuff back that she got it. Where did I get the hay bales? Who left their wagon down there? You know, who's going to pay the, the petting zoo that showed up? On, it, on and on it goes. And all for what? All for what? We'd say, well, you know, it gives us an opportunity to minister to the community and stuff. Really? Did we? I, I've been here 17 years. We've probably done 10 or 11 of those in that time. I don't ever remember getting a family to come to our church because they came to our fall festival. Okay? So... Instead of sitting down, though, and saying, let's assess it, people. Is this something we need to do? We spent a lot of money doing it. We spent a lot of people energy doing it. And, and then it takes us forever to recover from it. Nobody comes to church that next Sunday because they were all dog-tired from putting everything up. And then we've got to go down and unpack. We've got, a, we've got a tractor trailer back in down there with stuff in it on the other side of the gym. That's the big secret around here. Okay, we've got a big closet that's half as big as this room down there off the gymnasium, and all that stuff's got to go back in those places, except for the stuff that's got to go to somebody's home. And somebody has to sort all that out. And and you know, you can imagine how Carol's feeling because she knows she's going to be the one who gets the blame for it. And, and this we do. Somebody, every, and then there's somebody has to tell her, "Well, should you be more grateful that God used you?" Oh, yeah. Aren't you grateful? You should be tired. You should be grateful. Yeah. And by the way, you want to do it again next year? <laughs> exactly. You don't. And the next person that sees the, somebody coming to recruit her for that breaks out in a cold sweat because she knows what Carol did. She's heard about it. And now I'm going to be the person. Okay? And what we did a few years ago is we said, hey, you know, maybe that's not the best use of all of our resources and time and energy. And we're down there in a the gymnasium. Our community really can't see us. If they don't know about it, how do they get here? So we said, let's move it up on the front lawn. And let's, let's do it simpler. So that was a good move. But still, we spent a lot of money and still didn't accomplish anything. I mean, we had antique cars. We had everything. Nobody showed up. The city of Milton, in the meantime, started their own crabapple fest. And it was in October. Like two, three weeks before we did ours, they did theirs. We went and talked to them, and they said, you know, we're going to block off the streets down here, and we're going to have 40,000 people here in eight, for eight hours on Saturday. And we said, wow, 
and then we're gonna do we're gonna knock ourselves out three weeks later to do one on our property and we're gonna have 150 people show up and we're all gonna die from it so we said what how, how does what's a better use of our energies and time and what we did was we said look can we come help you you know can we just come and serve serve the city and they said, well, yeah, we need volunteers. You, you come and help set up and take down? Yeah, we'll come and do whatever you want us to do. We want to be a good neighbor. We want, we want to demonstrate Christ's love to you. And they said, okay, what's the catch? And we said, no catch. We bought T-shirts, said we love Milton. or here to serve. And we recruited 30 or 40 people. And we said, we need you to go down in shifts, help set things up, help clean up after it's over with. That's all we're going to do. Take a two-hour shift. We had people sign up to go. They were so impressed. They said, you got 40 people coming? We said, yeah. And they said, bless you. And they said, you know what we're going to do? Because we had asked them if we could set up a booth for our church. And they said, no, this is for vendors. Okay, fine, we get it. 40 volunteers? Look, we're going to give you a spot for a booth for your church. Really? So we bought a tent with our name on it. We air up some balloons. We give away some tracks or whatever we've got. And we, we put six or eight people under that tent for eight hours that day, rotating through. And we just talk to people as they're coming about, give away water or do something like that. We'll spend $800,000 maybe. And we'll have 40 people that'll give their time for a couple hours to come down there. And we have a good time. When it's over, we fold up our tent, and we bring our, uh, our uh, what's that thing, that little tank we use to blow up balloons? Yeah, we'll shove it in the back of the van, and we'll come home, put it in, and you know, we're done before, uh, before dinner time and gone home. And we've had the opportunity to intersect with thousands of people from our area there in that short period of time. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That is more effective for the kingdom of God, I think, and for what we're trying to do as a church than the first one that I shared with. Plus, it's, it's, it's maximizing our resources, our people resources, as well as our financial and other resources. So, does that help? Does that help? Are you clear now? Uh-huh. Okay, good. Good question. Caught me off guard there, though. Number five. God is glorified as the body grows together. The church that's discipling together is growing together, and God's glorified by that. I, I referenced that earlier. Individualistic Christianity is an oxymoron. I've, I've said this several times. I'll go back to it over and over. People ask me from time to time, well, you can be a Christian and not go to church, right? And I used to say, well, you know, I was scared to say what I really thought because I was afraid they, you know, we wouldn't be able to have a dialogue. But anymore, I just say, no, you can't. You may think you can, but you can't. Not according to the Scripture. The scripture says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but to come together. Because we're doing life together. We're growing together. We're learning about Christ together. We encourage each other together. We need the various diverse gifts that we all bring to complement one another to accomplish something that's bigger than ourselves 
by God's grace and power. And it's not something you can do alone. Now, if you were, if you were dropped out on a desert island somewhere by yourself, you know, you're a castaway, I guess you, you could do Christianity without a church and by yourself, right? But God doesn't put us in those circumstances. He puts us here with other believers because He knows we need that accountability and encouragement, exhortation, discipling each other together, growing together. None of us are perfect. <clears throat> we need assistance from each other. God intends for us to glorify Him primarily through our life together as a church. We've been talking about this a lot in the last few weeks as a church. Unity in diversity is an incredible witness for God. You know, it's easy. It's fairly easy to develop an, organism, an organization with people who have similar interests. Economics, you know, pastimes, education, you know, all those things. You look in this area that we're in, it's fairly affluent. A lot of common ground. It'd be easier to, easy to gather people based on the similarities. So that's no great shakes, is it? If the world's looking around and says, oh, all of y'all are just alike. They walk into the church, they see that we all look alike, we all talk alike, we all have the same interests, blah, blah, blah. Okay? They say, yeah, well, it looks like just any other club, right? If you went to the Lions Club or you went to the Elk Lodge or you went somewhere, you'd find those guys all just kind of look alike, act alike. They are alike. There's nothing magical, nothing supernatural about that. But you take a diverse uh, congregation where we've all, we're all wired differently. We all have different backgrounds or experiences or you know, even ethnicities and things of that nature. And God brings that together and brings unity in that. That's an incredible picture for the community. And they go, how is that possible? How does that happen? Because the world is struggling with that, aren't they? The world's struggling with how can we get along together? You know, we're all different. We're all cut out of different cloth. We're all, uh, you know, separated from one another. We've all got different interests, and that's the way the world's thinking right now. And I need my rights, and I need somebody to pay attention to me and, and give me a clean shake. And the church has the opportunity to bring together all these various backgrounds and diversities and be unified around the throne of God for His purposes God uses that to get their attention. And they go, that's really strange. But I like it. I'd like to be part of something like that. Six, building up the church is what you were gifted to do. We should realize this type of church-based uh, Discipling is in close keeping with spiritual gifts and Holy and the Holy Spirit's plans to use each person in the body. Your gifts are intended to bless and build up the local church, not to be hoarded and kept to yourself. I need a couple of scripture readers. Brian, First Corinthians twelve four through seven. Gary, First Corinthians fourteen verse twelve. Who else will take one? Bob. John 15, 12 through 15. 1 John 4, 19 through 21. One more. 
Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. I'm sorry, one more. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21. Okay. Your gifts are intended to bless and build up the church, the local church. You ready, Brian? Yes, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. 12, 4? I thought you said 4, 4. 12. Yeah, verse, chapter 12, verse 4 through 7. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of works them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Okay. Did you get that? Different gifts, different people. God gifts us, builds us differently, equips us differently. But one spirit working. One spirit working for one common purpose. That is God's. Who had the other Corinthians? Gary. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Okay. The gifts are not for personal fulfillment. You know where this is going? Give me an example of those who think spiritual gifts are for personal fulfillment. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> How about, you know, um, folks that put a lot of emphasis upon speaking in tongues. Okay? Uh, speaking in tongues gets a lot of conversation in some circles. And um, the way I look at tongues in the Scripture as a tool. It was designed to communicate the gospel across language barriers. Okay? When the disciples, when Peter was preaching at Pentecost... He preached in his own tongue and he was preaching to a diverse crowd that were from all kinds of different places speaking different languages. The scripture says they all heard him as if he were speaking in their language. Tongues. Okay? It serves a purpose. Is there a purpose for worship? Scripture indicates there could be. But the problem is people who focus on that, on that, are using it in a very selfish, self-centered way. It's about their own fulfillment or gratification rather than a gift that God would use for His own glory. And I have had experience with that. I had a friend one time that his sister was always, she was always bullying him around because he was in Baptist life and she was in uh, another denomination that believed heavily in speaking in tongues. And she questioned his salvation because he didn't speak in tongues. And she did. And I said, well, that's, you know, that's uh, a theological debate that we can have. But what you're doing and how you're using it, that's an even bigger problem in my estimation. That you're using that as some kind of litmus test when it's really not. You know, what you're doing is exalting yourself over him like you're superior because you've got this, you know, this. And we've all seen them on television. They use it to try to build some sort of following and elicit some sort of, you know, reaction from people. Okay? So that would be an example of that. Um, number seven. 
Discipling is a primary way to show love for Christ and for His church. As we recognize how God has used the church to impact us, we should realize and recognize that He will use us and the church to impact others in a similar way, right? You can't underestimate that. You know, you think about, think about people who've been influential, influential in your life, your spiritual life. It may have been a pastor. It may have been a Sunday school teacher. It, you know, I think back to as a kid, I was raised in church. It was a great blessing that my mom took me to church. Then my dad was saved and both of them. We went to church. And I can still remember some of those Sunday school teachers I had in those early grade school years, first grade, second grade, or even younger. I don't remember a thing that they said or taught, but I remember them. I remember they cared about me. I remember that they were faithful. I remember their names, you know, the Louise Rectors and, and the uh, Annie Stovers. You know, I remember them. They made an impact on me. So I think about that from time to time, about how they impacted me, and it kind of gives me a little kick in the seat to say, you know what? There are going to be some kids, there are going to be some adults that God's going to use me to impact. And so that's worth me pursuing a discipling relationship, you know, to grow into that, and also who knows how that discipling interaction with them will affect them long term. Does that make sense? John 15, 12 through 15, Bob. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father. I have made known to you. Jesus showed his love, he says to us, by laying down his life for us. And we, in similar fashion, we, don't, we aren't called upon to die on the cross like Jesus did, but we can sacrifice. How do you sacrifice for someone else? Practically, thinking about this, as in a discipling context, how would you, do, how would you sacrifice for someone? How would you lay down your life for someone else? Spend two hours out of your week. Rather than watching the soap operas, you could actually go spend some time with someone who needs to hear an encouraging word, right? Well, everybody knows Kyle watches, uh, what is it, Search for Tomorrow or whatever it was? No, Call the Midnight. Call the Midnight? I don't even know that one. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But we can show our love by sacrificing for others, yes. Carving out some time in our busy lives to spend with someone who needs some encouragement, you know, to grow in Christ. I'm not talking about just hanging out. You can hang out if you want to, but with intentionality, you know, that I want to help. I want to help this. I want to know what's going on in this person's life spiritually, and I want to be available to help encourage them. Even if I just pray with them, or we talk about something together, a passage of scripture that I read that morning, or something. Okay. 1 John 4, 19 through 21. That's you. (laughs) Sorry, I distracted you. You're in that soap opera mode now. You know, it's great to have you in here because I need someone to pick on 
say? It kind of diffuses the tension. There, move on. First John 4, 19. Yep. We love because he loved us first. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his fellow Christian, he is a liar. Because the one who does not love his fellow Christian, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. That's right. Reason number eight, church-based discipling is assumed in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Christians gather for mutual edification of one another. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another onward toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day capital day approaching virtually every epistle was written to specific local churches to encourage mutual spiritual growth first and second corinthians was written to discourage factions encourage sexual purity to encourage orderly congregational worship uh, to clarify the importance of christ's resurrection galatians uh, was written to help fight legalism and live life by faith Letters to Timothy and Titus to help better teach and encourage local churches. Each epistle assumes that discipleship and growth happens in the local church with people together. Every one of them. Reason number nine, church-based discipling displays unity in the midst of diversity. We touched on this. We've been talking a lot about it lately. God's glory is displayed when diverse folks love, support, unify uh, together. Unity and diversity is a great testimony to the lost world. We don't need to beat on that anymore, right? Reason number 10. The church is most healthy when it has a whole culture of discipling. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as a frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you wind up. And when you lie down and when you rise up, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land in which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. Right. Discipling can be a program. It can be programmatic. It can be formal in its setting. But I think it works best when it's organic, when you have conversations with people that you're sharing what God's showing you in your journey with Him and what others can show you that's going on with them. And you can talk to each other about it. I'm not saying you'll have all the answers that you want or need at that point, but it may spur you on to go find those answers, to have, have more intentional conversations. You can do that, you know, based upon a sermon from a Sunday morning. You can have a conversation about, what do you think about point number two this morning? Or, you know, about... Uh, what was said there, that scripture that we read. I never had thought of it that way. Having a conversation about it and talking about what you heard in a Sunday school class or a book that you're reading, you know, that, that points you to Christ or something that you can share with someone else and just asking them some questions or letting them ask you questions, vice versa. That leads to an organic method of discipling one another. Uh, let's see. Wrap up. 
You got anything on your handout that talks about connections where it is normal for members to do one another spiritual good? You got five statements down there, or you got you got a summary? You got three summary statements, right? Okay, I'm not going to read those then. I'll leave you with these thoughts. Um, I envision a discipling context in a church where people don't need to sign up for anything or be recruited to something or get permission before they establish a mutually encouraging discipling relationship. Make sense? That's going on now. I mean, nobody told you guys you needed to have this Bible study on Wednesday mornings, did they? Because you would have rebelled if we'd have told you to do it, right? <laughs> no, I mean, they just, they had a desire to do it. They start out meeting in somebody's home, right? And so it's developed into now you have it at the church. You gather at the church and do it. It's something you do on your own. They may collaborate with staff leadership about what you're going to be studying, or I think you guys basically stick to church books, or I mean, Bible books, don't you? Uh, we use the Bible. That's all we use. <laughs> That's all you use. So you do book studies together? Well, yeah. Bible book studies, I'm saying. Bible, Bible book, yeah. Yeah, do. right. So which book are you studying right now? First Corinthians. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay. King James only, right? Yeah, King James only. King James only, right? <laughs> um, it also is where members just understand that it's good for them to meet for lunch or coffee and talk about spiritual things. That can be discipling, right? It can disciple. Where mutual encouragement is seen as a normal and basic ministry in the church. Where accountability and transparency are strategized about and delighted in as good gifts from a loving and wise God. I'd say that's what we want to encourage at CFBC and hope that God will help you to be a part of that. Questions? You thought we wouldn't end. We're early tonight. Pastor, you have your yes. outline uh, getting started in discipling. You've got who, when, and what. Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically a practical question. You know, if you're thinking about what we've been talking about discipleship-wise, then how would you start? How would you begin? You know, if you're thinking about it, doing it in the church context, it may be, hey, Bill, how about me and you getting together and having coffee? You know, so what are we going to do? I'd, I'd love to, I've, I've been looking at this book that I'd love to read. Why don't we read it together and talk about it as we go? You know, we'll do this every week or every couple of weeks even. So what, when, where, you know, that kind of thing is what, what's at the bottom of that. So it's really a personal thing for you to sit down and how do I begin to implement discipling in my life? You know, how do I get started doing this? And there's no, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, put you in a, you know, into a, on rails here and say this is the way it's got to be done. I'm saying those are the questions you should be asking yourself. You're in a Bible study. You're going to a small group on Sunday morning, you know, through the, uh, the Sunday school. And some of you have got those things and you're saying, well, you know, how much of this can I do? I'm talking about something that's not quite as heavy duty. So, I mean, just having a conversation with somebody on a regular basis. You guys are doing a little bit more, but you, you do that intentionally. They're doing a Bible study, so it doesn't have to be that. But maybe your Bible study could have some other components to it other than in addition to what you're currently doing. Maybe you already do that. 
maybe you say, hey, let's, let's talk, you know, something else in particular. You know, how are we going to apply this? How are we going to, what are we going to do with what we've studied in 1 Corinthians this week? Um, you can do any number of things. So th those are there just to kind of spark you to think about doing it. If you're really interested in getting more involved in it, you can talk to Gary, you can talk to, uh, to Kyle. Both of them are uh, experts. Uh, there, it's out there. They're experts on discipleship. What? It's out there. Yeah, you are. You are. You self-professed expert. <laughs> no, they, they've put a lot of time and energy in it. They've been part of a spiritual formation team here at the church. So they've, they've investigated and studied a lot. They can be helpful to you if you're, if you're looking for some ways to, you know, how do I, how do I get started doing this? Uh, they've got access to some books they can point you toward that would be helpful. Not just books for your discipling, but books to help you understand better how to disciple, maybe. Is that fair? Absolutely. That's fair. All right, I've teed it up for you again, so now. Take it. Good. <laughs> can, I, uh, can I say one thing? Sure. Uh, this is a good time as any just to say that uh, we, uh, we actually have an opening on the spiritual formation advisory team. 